Hello everyone, welcome to our service of worship this morning. It's uh, lovely to be with you once again and to be able to share in uh, the second part of our Advent journey. Just a reminder that this morning is the Sacrament of Holy Communion and Reverend Ray Nutley and I will share together in the sacrament. You are, of course, if you live in Bundaberg, invited to come down and share in the sacrament as well. Uh, if you don't live in Bundaberg, you're still invited, but you better get leaving because you might have a bit of a trip to get here. So you're welcome to come down. We'll be open for about an hour after the service finishes. Um, you may come down, receive communion, spend some time in prayer, and, uh, and we'd be happy to serve communion to you. If you haven't, uh, if you're not planning on coming down, make sure that you grab some wafers or some, uh, some bread uh, with some water or juice, whatever you have available in the house, and uh, we'll share in communion together as we usually do. As we begin the live stream, just a reminder to please interact with us. Tell us where you're watching from. Even if you're listening to the podcast later on or uh, connecting to the YouTube channel and not actually watching this live, still send us a comment. We still try and get to them. We love to hear from you. It's, uh, it's great to get the reaction buttons as well. You can push those as many times as you like during the live stream. Um, and uh, we love to, as I say, interact with you. That's part of the reason that we do this live. So a special word of welcome to you, uh, especially if you're joining with us for the first time. And we trust and pray that you'll be blessed in our journey through Advent. The second candle of Advent is the candle of hope. In some traditions, it's the candle of expectation or prophecy. This draws attention to the anticipation of the coming of the Anointed One a Messiah, one who weaves his way like a golden thread through the Old Testament history. As God's people were abused by power-hungry kings, or led astray by self-centered prophets, or lulled into apathy by half-hearted religious leaders, or lied to by deceptive leaders, there, are, there arose a longing among God's people to raise up a new king who could show them how to be God's people, who could bring them to abundant life. They yearned for a return of God's dynamic presence in their midst. And so God revealed to some of the prophets that indeed he would not leave his people without a true shepherd. While they expected a new earthly king, their expectations fell far short of God's revelation of himself in Christ. And yet the world is still not yet fully redeemed. So again with expectation, with hope, we look for God's work, for his return, and for the abundant life that he promises. We rejoice that he will again reveal himself to the world. And we understand in a profound sense that the best, the highest of our expectations will fall far short of the magnificence of God in Jesus Christ. And so today we light the candle of hope. The peace of the Lord be with you, friends. Thank you. If you are watching with somebody, take a moment and pass God's peace onto them. Bless them with a smile and a greeting as uh, you share in the service together. Let us come before God in prayer. Almighty God, as we have lit the candle of hope, 
We thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of your love and your peace and your presence, the hope of a Savior who has come to bring life in all of its fullness, abundant life in all of its glory, the hope of a Savior who does away with the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to rob us of the life that you have planned. We rejoice in the hope of of things not yet seen, but what we know to be true. We rejoice in the knowledge, Lord God, that we live in relationships with you and that your kingdom will be fulfilled in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we rejoice in this Advent season and look to draw closer to you, grow in our relationships with you, understand you more and and engage more in your plan for our lives. May you speak to us through the words of the service we pray. May we be touched by the sacrament of Holy Communion as we partake of the bread and the wine and are reminded of the, the body and blood of Christ, the sacrifice you have given in order that we may live in hope, in order that we may have peace, in order that we may know our Savior. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for those moments when we have turned from you and turned to ourselves. Moments, Lord, where we have sought power or held power over others. Moments where we have been deceitful. Moments, Lord, where we have allowed tempers to get the better of us. Moments, Lord God, where we have not treated people as you would have treated or not acted as, if you, as we would have if you were standing right next to us. But we thank you, Lord God, that with you, forgiveness has been bought and paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. And today, Lord God, we receive with joy the gift of your grace, the sense of connectedness with you, the beauty of being loved by you and, and drawn closer to you. May your name be praised throughout the service, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, in terms of our notices today, it's just one really big important notice to remind you of next Sunday services, half past seven and half past nine here back in the church. The live stream will still continue but it'll be our first worship services back in person. You would have already received an email um, about with all the details on them, and uh, there'll be some even more some more information which will come to you uh, tomorrow via email as well. If you haven't received those emails, if you'd like them, please contact the church office. The number is on our website. So if you uh, if you haven't yet received some very important information please contact the church. Um, you'll find it most helpful. 
Also to say that there is provision. If, uh, if you still don't get the email by Sunday, please don't think you can't come. There will be provision made for everyone to be able to attend the services. And uh, you are still able just to arrive. And uh, you will find a seat and be able to worship together all within the COVID safe restrictions. Our readings this morning come from Matthew chapter 2, the whole chapter, and John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. We're looking at our Christmas series, A Christmas Together, and today we look at A Christmas Together with Herod. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, a place, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, 
that he would be called a Nazarene. And then from John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. Therefore Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each Sunday, part of our worship is to dedicate the gifts and offerings that we have been giving into the hands of God. The offerings have been placed often through direct deposits into the church bank account over internet banking or online giving, and uh, as well as people who have brought offerings into the church office throughout the week. And so we thank you for your faithfulness and your commitment to continue to give to God's work and uh, we come in these moments to bring these gifts to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is to give these gifts to you. At a time such as Christmas, we are very conscious of gift giving and, and the joy that, that we have in giving gifts to one another. It is always said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what a blessing it is for us to be able to give a gift to you. And so we pray that you would take these gifts we offer, receive them from loving and grateful hearts that give them. May you use them to continue your work through this church and build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we began our Advent sermon series called A Christmas Together. And it's a series that celebrates the fact that as a congregation, we will finally be together again next week, worshiping in the church. We will be having a Christmas together. After eight months, this is indeed an important moment and something well worth celebrating. Of course, as I mentioned, the live stream will continue. So if you're not able to be here, you are still able to be part of the worship that happens at, at Bundaberg. But in addition to being together as a church, the series looks at being together with other people who teach us a lot about this important time of the Christian calendar. Last week, we looked at, at a Christmas together with Mary, this young teenage girl who had her whole life turned upside down by this visit from the angel. We learned a lot about submission to the activity of God in our lives uh, through Mary. We learned a lot about trusting God and doing what he asks, being obedient to his commands. If you've missed the sermon, please take a moment, catch it up on uh, sometime this week on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page or our podcasts. This week, we take a slightly different direction as we look at a Christmas together with Herod. Now, that might seem quite strange. Nobody wants to spend Christmas together with Herod. You'd be afraid that it would be your last Christmas ever. He's a really nasty piece of work whose evil playbook literally contains the planned execution of tiny defenseless babies. Is there anything more evil and detestable than the slaughter of innocent children and babies? We cannot even begin to imagine such a thing in today's context. 
who would want to spend Christmas with him? In fact, many people asked me after last week's service, who's next? Joseph. Obviously, it must be Joseph. You've done Mary, and now you'll do Joseph. And, and certainly, we could learn a lot about Jesus by spending Christmas with Joseph. And he does definitely deserve a mention. It's amazing what Joseph does in obedience to God as he takes upon himself the shame of, of, uh, of the, the rumors of sex outside of marriage, the shame of getting his betrothed, his, his fiancée pregnant. He takes the horrific social stigma upon himself, all the while knowing full well he wasn't responsible for any of it. And of all the things that people would be thinking, he's actually completely innocent. But then again, who on earth is going to believe something as crazy as the truth of what really happened. So he takes the shame and carries that in obedience to God, even though he would have been well within his rights to walk away. And on that topic, even when he didn't know, even when the angel hadn't visited him and, and he still thought maybe, well, he had thought Mary would have been unfaithful, even in those moments, he still shows the, the depth of character, the decency of the man, and seeks just to simply divorce her quietly so as not to bring shame upon her. So Joseph teaches us a lot, and although we won't be spending a whole sermon with him, I do want to give him an, an honorable mention for a kind-hearted attitude, for his willingness to carry a burden not his own, and for his obedience to God. But the reason that we're looking at Christmas together with Herod today is because unlike Mary and Joseph and some of the other characters of the story, Herod is unique. He's the bad guy. He's the only one who doesn't actually give us the example to follow, but rather is a visual representation of what evil in the world can really be like. He's a picture, um, he's a picture exactly opposite to Jesus. He's a warning, if you like, of the type of things that can go wrong in our spirituality. We read the Christmas story so often, we know it so well, we've seen it in in children's plays and all the rest, but the story of Herod and his evil schemes, we often gloss over a little bit. Maybe because in the, the twinkling of the tinsel and the flashing of the lights and the excitement of the presence, we don't really want to dwell too much on this incredibly evil character. But friends, we need to spend some time with him because Herod is exactly what Christ was born in this world to change. Herod, in many senses, is not just an evil ruler, but is a metaphor for all of the evil in the world. Herod represents, and maybe this is painful for us to hear, but truthfully, Herod represents the, the default position of the world. And Jesus comes to change that. Jesus comes to show a new way and to bring a different life. He's born into this world to bring a new hope, like the candle we lit, a new direction, a release from the, the strength and the power of evil that so often is prevalent in this world and can be prevalent in our own lives and spirituality. Jesus brings a new way in the sense that he brings an alternative to the world's default position by offering something better, something countercultural, something revolutionary. He offers us the godly way of abundant life. In order to grasp this Jesus way, this abundant life, and to understand its application in our lives, we need to spend some time with Herod and see exactly what it is in us, 
what it is in the world that Christ comes to change and why he comes to change it. I mean, if we're calling ourselves Christians and Christ followers, then what are the values that we should follow? What are the values that we should, we should be fighting for? What are, the, what are the traits we should be fighting against? And how does Herod teach us about all of this? Why is it so important for us to know the difference between the values of the Christ and uh, the values of Christ and the, and the worldly values that we sometimes just so easily adopt for ourselves? Because, friends, Herod, in addition to being the opposite of Jesus, provides us with a real-time example of what life is like if lived in unchristian manners, if lived with, with unchristian values. Herod gives us this real-time example of the thief that, that Jesus speaks about in, in John chapter 10, who comes to steal and kill and to destroy, to, to ruin the life that, that Christ wants to, to give us. Herod shows us just how destructive self-serving values can be as they completely ruin the life that God plans for us. We read a little earlier in John 10 that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, says Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I've come that you may have life in abundance, a better life than you've ever dreamed of, says Eugene Peterson. You see, friends, the subtlety of Herod's character lies not in the conniving way that he tries to manipulate the Magi. The subtlety of Herod's character is the revelation that, that these values that he represents have come to be so much a part of the world that even Christians have started to justify some of those values as actually being Christian. And as we do that, the very beauty of the life that Jesus came to give us is stolen. It is robbed from us. It is killed. As Jesus says, it is destroyed. What do I mean? Well, let's have a look at some of Herod's qualities. The other day, I came across this picture, and I wish that I'd actually saved it to show you. But it was the picture of a 9mm pistol in a holster on somebody's belt. It looked menacing. It looked dangerous. The person who had it looked like they were really proud of it. They were showing it off. But what was really sickening was that the leather holster had been engraved or embossed or whatever you, whatever you call it when it's on leather. Writing was on it. And the engraving on this 9 millimeter thing was this. It said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, just to be clear, this wasn't a military person operating in the defense of the country, nor was it a policeman or woman who have been tasked with the high calling of protecting and serving the people. This was an average Joe citizen who had this desire for power, a desire to be, to be uh, elevated above the rest, and was doing so with a firearm engraved with the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now that may be an extreme example, but friends, the obsession with power that we see displayed in Herod is by no means limited to one person carrying a gun with Jesus' words engraved on it. The obsession with power is far more subtle than that. In Herod, we can see this obsession with power as he tells the Magi to find out where the child is. Let me know where he is. There cannot be any threat 
to this king's authority. He's scheming a plan to stay in power. There can be no other king but him. He alone wields the power and must remain in control and will do whatever is necessary to hold on to that power. Jesus is quite different. The way of Jesus isn't obsessed with power, but in fact epitomizes humility. A few weeks ago in our Philippians series, we read these words, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. As we see in Herod, this obsession with power, the coming of Jesus shows us the epitome of humility. To be obsessed with that power is to be continually worried about the next threat in your life. It is to be continually focused on, on being the most. It is to be so wrapped up in self that other needs, others' needs are overlooked. And when we get to that point, it is a life that has then been stolen by the thief killed and destroyed. And you might well be thinking to yourself, but hang on a second, I'm not obsessed with power in that way. And that may be true. But the nature of the world, the nature of Herod's, uh, uh, Herod's character traits are in the subtleties. Wherever we consider ourselves above others, that is a position of power. Wherever we consider others less than ourselves, that's a position of power. Wherever we consider ourselves too good for something, that's a position of power. Too important to do some lowly job, that becomes the obsession with power. Wherever we consider somebody who is poor or badly dressed or down on their luck or, or not as educated as we are or, or whatever the, the case may be, wherever someone is looked down upon, we are moving in the direction of obsession with power. Wherever we lord our authority over somebody, whether it be a, a shop assistant who we feel we can take our temper out on, whether it be somebody who is supposed to be doing a job and we, we can give them gears for it, whatever it may be, wherever we are rude, wherever we are bad-mannered, wherever we, wherever we don't forgive, <clears throat> that is holding a power over someone or something. All of those are subtle ways in which we can become obsessed with power. In each of these things, the life, the spirit of love, the hope, the generosity of Christ is stolen from us. And the life becomes not the abundant, beautiful life Jesus promises, but rather the troublesome, worrisome, difficult life of Herod. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it in all of its fullness. But you need to take the nature of the servant, humble yourself, and become obedient to me. And as we do that, when we begin to elevate others above ourselves, when, we, when our lives are focused on, on serving other people, when we look to the needs of others instead of looking down on them, when we're asking, what can I do for them? How can I serve them instead of how can I be served by them? How can I treat them that will reflect the love of Christ, it is then that we find the humility of Jesus. One of the things I've enjoyed the most about Pope Francis 
is his refusal to allow the power of his position to change his servant heart and humility. He still eats with the blue-collar workers of the Vatican, has his meals with them. He still heads out to feed the hungry. He still takes time to listen to children. Herod represents a power-hungry world. Jesus gives the answer to it. Humility and servanthood. But to spend time with Herod is to see another way in which the thief robs us of the abundant life that Jesus gives. And that is that Herod is quick to deceive. He says to the wise men, find this child and come and tell me where he is so that I may go and worship him. So that I can worship him. Well, friends, if they believed that, then they couldn't have been all that wise to begin with. In fact, someone once suggested to me that they weren't wise at all. They were just typical men. After all, if it had been three wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would be peace on earth. And there's probably a bit more truth to that than I'd like to admit. But here we see the ease with which the lie just rolls off the tongue. Satan is in Scripture sometimes known as the father of lies. And in the whole analogy of John 10 with the, the, the sheep being stolen by thieves in, uh, in, that, in that chapter and verse, there's this underlying current of deception. A thief who comes in the night. There are a few things in life that are destructive as lies. And few things as refreshingly uplifting as somebody who always speaks the truth. I've often been involved in counseling situations where it's very clear very quickly that the person talking may not be telling an outright lie, but there's definitely a spinning of the story to portray them in a better light or to show the other as being uh, particularly wrong. We live in a world where, where there are many politicians who do this all the time, where only certain facts will be focused on and, and others can be completely omitted if they don't suit the purpose. Or something will be completely permissible in one instance when it favors one, but will be greeted with outrage and indignation when it favors the other. In fact, in political circles, they even have a word for this, and there are people who have made whole careers out of it. They call themselves spin doctors. People who spin the truth, spin it in a way that, that maybe is not quite as honest as it needs to be. We see selective truth and bias and, and uh, alternative facts as a, has become a, a well-known thing. Manipulation everywhere. And the danger, friends, is that we become so used to it that it just eventually becomes part of the fabric of how society works. We can even fall into the trap ourselves. And when that tendency to be ever so slightly less truthful seeps into our lives. The abundant life that Christ came to bring is not possible. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the beauty of the abundant life ended all because of deception. Firstly, because of the snake who said, oh, did God really say that you mustn't eat this fruit? Or maybe God just doesn't want you to be as clever as he is. And then when they were found out, 
Adam immediately spins the situation to try and make himself look less bad and put all the blame on Eve. said, the woman that, by the way, you put here, said, it's partly your fault. She gave me the apple to eat. And then Eve says, no, no, no. Let me spin the truth again. I'm not going to own up to this. It was the serpent. He made me eat it. And the whole abundant and beautiful life that God desires that Jesus comes to restore, disappears in the fleeting breath of just the slightest deceit. And it can happen so easily in a world that, uh, where our world almost lives by these little deceptions and, and, and bias and, and spin-doctoring of the truth. You ever been stopped by a traffic officer? And they come out and stand outside your car and you roll down your window and they ask you that dreaded question, do you know why I pulled you over? Now, the truthful answer is, yes, officer, it could have been any one of three or four different things depending on just how long you've been following me. Shall I list the offenses for you? But that's not the answer we give, is it? We say, no, officer. And we're thinking and we're praying that maybe the one that they're going to mention is the least expensive of all of them. Did you know this was a 50 zone? Is it really? Why were you speeding? Well, truthfully, officer, because I didn't see you. I would never have been speeding if I saw you sitting there. In fact, every time that I don't see you, I usually speed on the section of the road because 50 is a ridiculously low speed and there's never any traffic officers around. It just must be my unlucky day today. That's the truthful answer. Maybe a tongue-in-cheek example. But every day, you and I will deal with people who are less than truthful with us. Whether someone tells us that they never got our message, or maybe they say that someone will definitely be along shortly to help us, or, or maybe they say they'll get back to us within the hour, or, or somebody will take us for a ride by putting a whole lot of extra charges on a bill that was never actually incurred, or whatever it is. And it's terrible. And sometimes... We don't just have to live with it and receive it. Sometimes we are even tempted to do the same. Just that little bit of spinning. Just that little bit of twisting. But being together with Herod this Christmas reminds us that Jesus came into this world to defeat the father of lies. That is, he is the truth. He's the personification of truth. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The abundant life that we seek is a life that is lived in Christ. It is a life that is committed to Christ. It is a life that is lived in truth and committed to truth. Abundant life is not lived in the shadows. It is not lived in deception and dishonesty, no matter how small. It is a life where we are proud to have Christ sitting beside us all of the time. Herod is quick to deceive. Jesus is truth. And lastly, we see Herod blows up in anger. He's furious. Scripture says that, that he is furious and he orders the execution of, of all the children in accordance with the age, all the children under the age of two, we, we assume. In this, we are reminded of the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That where there is anger in Herod... 
where the anger is shown to be so violent. Jesus comes to bring peace. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The fullness and the beauty of life is a life of peace, a life lived in the presence of Jesus. It isn't a life where there is never anything that goes wrong, of course not. But it is a life that lives knowing that all is in the hands of God who loves us. That what we experience has been experienced by Jesus who walked this path before us, who endured temptations like we endure, who gave his life in order that we may find peace. I have come that they may have life, and that that life would be better than they could ever imagine, says Jesus. To me, friends, that's the very definition of peace. A better life than we could ever imagine, lived in the presence of God, with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. I don't think that Herod is anybody's favorite character in the Christmas story. He's the one we least want to spend Christmas together with. But he is important because he reminds us of the world we live in. He reminds us of what Jesus came to change. He shows us what life opposite to Jesus is and what it means to have a life that has been stolen and destroyed and killed by the thief. And then we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus who came that we may have abundant life. And we see that in spending Christmas together with Herod, we are invited by Jesus to avoid temptation, to seek the beautiful, to become humble and honest and peaceful and live the life that Christ came at Christmas time to give. The banner behind me, the new banner behind me says, Christmas begins with Christ. It begins with the Prince of Peace and an acknowledgement that, that just as Herod is all of the negative, Christ is all of the positive, all of the beauty, abundant, wonderful, humble, honest, and peaceful life. May that be your life, and may it be mine. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we don't enjoy spending time with Herod. In truth, partly because he makes us confront ourselves. And we see things in the obsession with power and the willingness to deceive and the the quickness to anger. And in some of the other traits, there, there are things which we can see in our own lives. Things which we know, Lord, rob us of the abundant life you've come to give. But today, Lord, as we hear your word and as we, as we see the challenge that you give us, we pray for that sense of, of willingness to, to become less so others may become more. To find that sense of humility that we read about in Philippians, to, to seek to live lives that are completely honest, to have lives, Lord, that are peaceful and bring peace. In short, Lord, we want what you promised us in John 10, the abundant life, better than we could ever imagine. A life not taken by the thief, but a life blessed in Jesus Christ.
And as we receive the sacrament of Holy Communion this morning, we thank you, Lord God, that it is the very act of receiving communion that, that, that melts our lives together with the life of Christ. That you become part of us. We become part of you. And as we take the bread and as we drink the wine, may the abundant life of Christ be a reality for each of us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, Ray and I will read the communion liturgy. It's the same liturgy that we've been using each uh, communion Sunday. And uh, where Ray responds, if you know the words, feel free to respond with him. Friends, look as you gather around this table. It is decked out with simple things, bread and wine. Gifts of the earth that remind us that like them, each one of us holds within us the fingerprints of God who made us. At this table, we are invited to draw up a chair and dine with the saints and to feed our souls. Here we sit with the priests and prophets, prisoners and poets, whose testaments live in the pages of God's book, along with all the friends and faithful guides who live within our hearts. So with this in mind, we raise our voices together with countless others saying, Holy, holy, holy God of all creation and life, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Hosanna in the highest. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and wine and recreated them with a new purpose. We take this bread, and as we break it, we remember Jesus' words. Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. We take this cup. And as we raise it, we remember Jesus' words. Take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the, given, for the forgiveness of sins. We break bread together. And we, we become the living body of Christ. We share the cup together. We become agents of God's grace. Lord, we come to your table, trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy to gather the crumbs under your table, but your grace makes us worthy, and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Christ, we pray, resurrecting to live the life you call us to. Amen. Ray, the body of Christ, broken for us, for each of you, the body of Christ, broken for us. Amen. Spend a few moments in prayer.
We thank you, Lord, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Friends, a reminder of next week's services. If you'd like more information, please contact the office, especially if you haven't received one of the emails. But uh, as I say, even if you haven't, feel free to come on Sunday morning and uh, there will be a plan in place. I look forward to seeing you then. And once again, we will stay open for about an hour from now if you would like to uh, come here to the church and receive communion and prayer. You are more than welcome to. Thank you for joining with us this morning or whatever time you happen to be listening to this. Thank you for being part of the live stream. And I pray that God will bless you in the rest of your day or the rest of your evening. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.